Whether you find yourself out in public or in the privacy of your own home, chances are that when you are in the presence of others, many of them have their eyes focused on their smartphone screens. Our lives are so focused on our phones that we are seeing the breakdown of relationships, attention spans, and critical thinking. What would happen if we locked our phones away for an entire week? College professor and author Donna Freitas recently conducted an experiment where she had her students untether for seven days. Join us for a lively and eye-opening conversation with Donna about what she and her students learned about our dependence on smartphones and what happens when we shut down on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, it's another episode of Youth Culture Matters, and I'm Walt Mueller here at CPYU. Jason Soshenik joining us as almost always usual. Almost always usual, yep. From the upper left in Spokane, Washington. And we are excited today to have a conversation about smartphones and technology and what happens when we actually shut down, which doesn't happen nearly enough. I mean, Jason, do you have do you have practices in your own life where you have built in these quiet times? You know, my, I call yeah. it a Sabbath from technology. Well, oh, that's great. I don't I don't call it Sabbath. I just call it rules. Okay, <laughs> but but we we uh, as a family tried to as soon as we come through the door just. Uh, leave right now it's only my wife and I that have devices so we just leave them uh, at the kitchen table and they sit there for most of the evening and and until the the morning I use my phone as an alarm so I'll take my phone to bed with me and uh, but that's that's about it but I don't check my phone during the night or anything like that it's just a we essentially when I get home I try to not use it anymore if I need to boy we may have to talk about that taking the phone to bed thing because some of the things I'm hearing about <laughs> blue light and you know charging and all that we'll we'll ask about that today for sure yeah at what age I'm just curious because you're t- 20 years younger than me so you're 40, yeah. 43 now you're 43 yeah what yeah. age what age did you get a phone how old were you I when was, you got your first phone it was given to me by the ad agency that I was working at so I think I was 24 or 25 okay. yeah it, all right yeah so you are not a digital native. You like me are a digital immigrant. We're more alike than you would yeah. be, than you would care to admit normally. So we we at least have that in common. And uh, Chris, <laughs> when did you get your phone? First phone? When is that? I bought a what would be called a car phone uh, when I was eighteen. Was it one of those big like a it was fairly, attache case? It, it, or? it was pretty big. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I bet you were pretty proud walking around with that thing. No, it, it, there was no walking around. With <laughs> okay, it. Uh, you were probably the envy of all your friends, though. Well, we're going to talk about this because yeah. we've got this generation now of digital natives who, you know, it's it's like they're born with these things in their hands. I know when I travel, I was on the West Coast this last weekend and. It just seems everywhere I go, you know, I, I can't put a number on it, but maybe half of the people I see are walking, sitting, maybe more than half, walking, sitting, face and screen. So we decided we need to have another conversation with our friend, Dr. Donna Freitas. And Donna, thank you for joining us. You, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So Donna, we're going to talk about something that, that Donna did with a group of college students that made the news. And this is why we got a hold of her, because I just thought this was brilliant. It was fun to track with. We're going to hear about it. But before we do that, we did have Donna on before we talked about her book, The Happiness Effect. And she's written extensively on a variety of youth culture issues and matters. And uh, Donna, just for folks who may not be familiar with you, catch us up on the trajectory of your studies and the writing you've done? Oh, wow. Uh, Well, I've done a lot of writing, so I'll I'll just talk about my nonfiction research. Um, About, I think it's about 15 years ago now, I started um, looking into uh, how college students think about sex when um, when they're on campus. And I was looking at campus culture and 
um, whether or not a campus had a religious affiliation or was a private secular school or a public institution and how that might affect the culture around sex on campus. And uh, that research really just sparked a lot of conversations and um, ended up bringing me to a lot of different colleges and universities over the years to speak about that research and to sit and listen to students about where they were on these issues. And it was those conversations that led me to launch a different study about social media and smartphones and the college experience, which is, you know, how I ended up here on your show today. Um, but, you know, really I'm interested in, uh, maybe the conversations we need to be having with college students that we often don't, and the different things that cause them to struggle while they're in college, and, and also to search, I think. And one of those things happens to be sex, and um, another, another of those things happens to be social media and smartphones. And so, really, my books have revolved around these issues. Anything from um, my very first book on my research, which was called Sex and the Soul, juggling sexuality, spirituality, romance, and religion on America's college campuses, to um, the happiness effect, which you mentioned, and also um, I'm a frequent speaker about the topic of sexual violence in Title IX on campus, and I have a book about that as well called Consent on Campus, a Manifesto. It's definitely a manifesto. So, so that's sort of a summary of my nonfiction research in the last few years. Mm. And we're going to, as we tell people all the time, if you go to our homepage, cpyu.org, and find the player for this particular episode of the podcast, you can scroll down and we'll have links to all of Donna's books. And I think we'll throw some links up as well, Chris, to some of the YouTube videos because those are engaging as well as you listen to Donna. You watch Donna uh, converse with college students. You said, before we jump into what happened at Adelphi here a couple of months ago, you made an interesting comment about... Uh, asking the question, why aren't we having these conversations, you know, about sex, sexuality, uh, about digital technology? Why aren't we having these conversations with college students? Offer some reasons for that, because I, some people are really timid to step into these conversations. And have you encountered that? Or why are we so timid about this? I mean, I think with regard to conversations about smartphones and social media, I think maybe we're starting to have them now, though I'm I'm still not sure. I think people are waking up to the fact that we really need to talk about this. Our world has completely changed, especially since the last election and all the conversations about, um, you know, Russia hacking our election, all those kinds of things and how much social media is influencing how we think for better or worse. Um but uh, I think one of the reasons why we don't have the conversations is because, like, uh, is because things like um, sex, uh, first of all, scare people. Um, you know, especially if you're talking about it in religious circles. A lot of people joke that sex is like the third rail of of religion. You know, we're, we're afraid to talk about it, especially with unmarried people. Um, but I think some of it has to do with. Uh, biases that we have on college campuses about what you talk about in the classroom and what you don't talk about. And, you know, we tend to think of the personal and the subjective as not rigorous, you know, not worthy of intellectual reflection. And um, I think the same goes for social media. You know, social media, we think of it as social. It has to do with relationships and those messy, elusive things that are hard to quantify. And I think those things that are hard to quantify uh, are often not things that we bring up on the campus or in the classroom. And of course, they're some of the most difficult, challenging topics that we could possibly be talking about. And so from where, from where I sit, I think the, they absolutely belong to be um, in the classroom. They're really tough topics that I wish we gave more credibility. And I wish that too, because I know that um, the students who sit in our classrooms at those colleges and universities really need us to be talking about um, these things. Like they're really longing to have these conversations that are so relevant to their lives. So, but I think some of it just has to do with um, the biases that come with being at a university about what what deserves to be talked about in the classroom and and what doesn't. Yeah. So. 
talking about these things can actually trigger a little bit. We'll use that language, you know, trigger people. I, I think, too, about media theorists and having read media theorists years ago, long before I was even aware of such a thing as digital technology. You know, everything was analog at that point. But you'd read McLuhan, you know, the medium is the message, and you'd hear things like, first we shape our tools and our tools shape us. This is what you're dealing with, you know, the way that we've been shaped or perhaps misshaped you know, formed or perhaps deformed by our, our tools. So talk about what happened at Adelphi. Tell us about the class you were teaching and this, you know, social experiment you engaged in. Well, I uh, was invited to teach a first-year seminar class at Adelphi, and those classes are by nature experimental, or they can be. They're, you know, they're for first-year students, and they're, you know, they're just kind of an um, opening to the college experience. And there's all kinds of different topics. So people pick all kinds of topics for these classes, and then the students sign up for whichever one they want to take. And uh, so I just thought I, you know, I had done my research for the happiness effect and done this big national study on social media and smartphones. And basically, what I did was I um, designed a course around some of the central questions that came out of that research. And one of the big ones that I came away with thinking, okay, we need to ask this question. This is like one of the most important questions of our time um, was, you know, what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with our devices? What does it mean to have a healthy relationship with uh, social media? And, you know, can we develop a healthy relationship? So those, those were questions that um, were, were clear from my research that were crucial to ask. And I thought, okay, I'm going to base a course in that question. And, uh, part of it would be, uh, involve students giving up their smartphones for a week. And, uh, you know, we would, we would get ready for it. We, we would, you know, prepare for it, but then everyone who took the class was going to have to do this. And, one of the things I thought was interesting, because this was in the um, description of the course, that, like, by the way, like, be prepared to give up your phone. Um, my class, out of all the first-year seminar classes, I think there were, like, 50. Mine was the first one to fill. And I thought, I was told that by the head of the program. And I thought, huh, I thought mine might be the last one to fill. So I just thought right off the bat, isn't it interesting that that's the course that all these first-year students would take? Can I can I ask uh, you? Did they did yeah. they see the syllabus before they registered, or as they registered, did they did they know what they were getting into? Well, the, no, the syllabus they couldn't see, but there was a description of the okay. course that said, you know, we were going to talk about our relationship, to social media, and smartphones, and you know, it said very clearly, it's a short description, but like, be prepared to um, give up your your phone, and. So I just thought it was interesting that so many people would take it. But then when we got to the class the first week and I handed out the syllabus, one of the first things I said was like, listen, like the centerpiece of this course is when we're going to give up our smartphones in November and we're literally going to lock them away in a safe. And, you know, that's happening. Like it's happening and I need you to take that in. And if this is not your thing, if you don't want to do that, you have to drop the class. So I think at first, some of the students thought I was kidding. And so I, I said, like, again and again, like, I'm really not kidding. Like, there's no getting out of this. If you do not want to do this, if you feel you cannot, like, you need to drop the course. And only um, two students dropped and then two more added in. So my class was full. Wow. The, did So I, what I'm curious about with regards to the giving up the phone for a week uh Whereas you said November, so was there a lot of prep time? Like, did you have to do a lot of work to prepare students for the fact that they are giving up their devices and uh, uh, work through how they're going to manage communication with family members, with uh, teachers, uh, with friends? Because uh, it seems like there would be some prep time, but I, I don't know if that was a part of the course. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would never have done it like in September. That would have, I think, traumatized everyone. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I also prepared people on campus before I did this. I mean, I went and I talked to the administration. I like got all sorts of approval for doing this because I also I didn't know if, um, you know, normally I would not ask for 
approval from anyone else at the university about a project. Like I would just assign it. I'm faculty. Like, why do I need pr approval? But I did um, think, okay, I should probably give some deans the heads up that I'm doing this and just make sure that, you know, they're on board with it in case I need someone to have my back because I didn't know if parents would get angry or I don't know if somebody would complain or, and so, um, so, and I, I wasn't sure what people would feel on campus that I was doing this, but I had just resounding approval from the administration and they were actually the people, um, one of the deans helped me get in touch with the head of public safety because I also didn't want to resp be responsible for everybody's phones in my office. I didn't want to just like stick them in my office drawer and then what if my office got broken into? And so they helped me connect with public safety to so that we could lock the phones away and it would all be okay. And so um, I really found support on campus for the project, which I thought was encouraging. But I mean, we did the um, we did the locking up of the phones. It, it happened just about um, near Thanksgiving. It was basically like the week before Thanksgiving, and the reason why it was then was because um, the point of the course was to get my students thinking about that question about healthy relationship, what does it look like? And also to become critical thinkers about their smartphone, social media, their relationships to these things. And I do think one of the most important things that all of us can do today, but especially if we are working with kids, is teaching them to become critical thinkers about um, smartphones and social media. Mm. I think, you know, in the cheesiest way, like, you know, knowledge is power, like it really is. And if I learned anything from the research that I did with college students across the country, it was the students who were already doing thinking, if that critical thinking about their relationship with their devices and social media wow. were in a much more empowered place in relation to these things than people who weren't. And I think this is where it becomes incredibly problematic that um, maybe our schools and our universities are not helping us become critical thinkers about these things. They're not even seeing these aspects of life, um, of everyone's life, as worthy of doing critical thinking about. And so I wanted um, my students to read. I wanted them to discuss like the research that's out there. So we did a lot of reading of all kinds of research. We looked, we read, watched a lot of TED talks. Um, you know, we really spent time thinking about what is our our relationship to these things. And also, I had my students for a while tracking their usage. So um, so we would come into class and we would look at okay, how many hours. Did you average a day on your smartphone last week? How many times did you pick it up? Because you know your phone tracks all these things, and and we would sort of have like a contest in my class, like like you know who used it the least and who used it the most, and then we would see who shifted from week week to week. So, so there was that kind of prep too. There was a lot of reading and researching and thinking about their usage before they unplugged, and um, and then there was also just a lot of prep, like. Some of them had to tell their teachers, by the way, I can't check the Facebook group or like I can only do it from my laptop or, you know, next week because I'm giving up my phone and they had to prepare their parents. They had to get alarm clocks. They had to um, get directions, you know, to make sure they knew how to drive to school if they were um, if they lived off campus. So we spent a lot of time doing that logistical prep, too. This is good. I love this. We need to take a break, but I'm just going to say Chris and I are, are chuckling right now looking at each other when you mentioned the alarm clock. I hope Kenton's listening because we had this <laughs> conversation with Kenton, who used to work with us here, who he would rely on his phone. And if his phone died, he he would just be lost in a netherworld. You know, time time had no meaning for him then. So it's funny. So, Kenton, if you're listening, enjoy this conversation. Well, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and continue our conversation with Donna Freitas about what happens when we – drop off the world of technology and smartphones for about a week. We'll be right back. In an effort to help you help the kids you know and love navigate the difficult landscape of the emerging digital frontier to the glory of God, we've launched a digital kids initiative here at CPYU. Thanks to a generous grant from a company called DAS, you can access our digital kids initiative and a growing number of free resources and downloads by visiting the website at digitalkidsinitiative.com. 
This is one more way that we're helping you lead your kids to live lives where their faith in God is integrated into the growing amount of time they're spending with social media and technology. While we're chatting with Donna Freitas about what happened at Adelphi University last fall in her class when she asked 22 students, I think it was, to go without their smartphones for a week. And she was saying she had prepped them for this and was asking them about some of their, uh, uh, you know, the amount of time they were tracking, the amount of time they were using their phones. I pulled this up, you know, the Common Sense Census from last year, commonsensemedia.org. They, they, they had some data that came out on daily screen use by tweens and teens. Uh, this is the amount of daily screen use, not including time on screens for school or homework. Tweens, who are 8 to 12-year-olds, they looked at about 4 hours, 44 minutes on average a day. And then our teenagers, 13 to 18 years old, what they discovered was about 7 hours and 22 minutes a day. Donna, you said that your students were tracking. They would come into class and talk about, you know, you had this this competition, who used it the most, who used it the least. What were you finding in terms of average use or, you know, who used it the most, who used it the least? Was any of that surprising? Well, I think it was interesting for the students themselves just to start paying attention to their usage because the first time we did it, some of the students were shocked. Like I had students who were up close to nine hours a day and we were like you know at at first it was like there were a lot of students who were around like four hours a day four or five hours but then we had some who were like oh my gosh mine says eight hours and 44 minutes and you know and another one was like oh mine's only 820 you know and they were taking that in and then we were joking with the you know I had a student who was down around like an hour and a half and then like around two hours and so they were really proud of themselves and but it was really interesting to see how um, just actually looking at that really made the students more conscious. And so by the time, you know, we checked the next week where their usage was, the students who had been over eight hours came way down and they were really proud of themselves because they just became more conscious of um, how much they were grabbing their phones. That, that was the other thing was how many times they grabbed for their phone. I had students who were up there in the hundreds per day. And they were sort of like, whoa, you know, why am I grabbing it? And so one of the things we were trying to do was just, you know, become conscious. Like I I had them practicing, asking themselves, um, you know, sort of interrogating their urge to grab their phone before they did it. Like, why do I want to grab this? Like, do I need to? Like, what am I looking for? Like, do I do I need to have it within reach? Like, so we were just um, talking about different ways to become more conscious about um, our usage and the fact that we talked so much in the class, too, about the fact that, you know, it's no secret now um, these phones and apps are designed to addict us. And, you know, they're designed like with the same um, uh, theories that they use to design slot machines and like, you know, gambling machines in mind. And so I think even just having the students take that in and that reality that these devices, these apps are designed to cause us to reach for them all the time, to even make us lose sleep. And even just looking at like the autoplay function and what's that about. And it's not just there out of your convenience. It's actually there to stop, you know, because they want to keep you on the devices. And so even just these little bits of information, I think, had a dramatic effect on their sense of their devices and their usage. And I think that's, you know, one of the best things we can do, we can just become conscious about what we're doing and why we're doing it. I want to ask you about this real quick. And then I think Jason has a question, but you were talking about, you know, helping them, you know, peel back the curtain, so to speak, on the way these devices are designed, the ways that they addict us, you know, you, you drew the similarity to slot machines. Did you get pushback, you know, where they're looking at you funny going, are you kidding me? Or, and then also, did you have them read anything? Was there anything besides what you were telling them that they were reading, whether textbooks or you would assign or readings that they found to be especially helpful that might serve to convince them otherwise of what their assumptions are? Um, well, 
Um, I mean, I think during the class, uh, leading up to the experiment when we all unplugged, I think my students went through maybe all the stages of grief, you know, in terms of just denial and then, you know, acceptance eventually. But like, I mean, because I think some of them maybe thought I wasn't really going to do this, that we weren't like that, that somehow I was going to call off the experiment when we gave up our phones. And then as I got closer, I just kept telling them, you know, this is really happening. Like, this is really happening. Just FYI, like it's, it's happening. And by the way, even if you're absent that day, you know, we'll just have you like start the experiment a little later, but you're still going to go a whole week. And so, um, so, I mean, I think they went through a lot of different, uh, feelings about the experiment um but you know we we did all sorts of things we we watched ted talks by um tristan harris and sherry turkle and we read some we read a lot of sherry turkle we read some we they actually read the happiness effect in the class another little book we read that was um really fun and wonderful there's a book called how to break up with your phone which has all these exercises that you can do in it and so we did a lot of those exercises and um, so we just were, you know, reading all kinds of articles. We, we read the, the New York Times does a ton of articles about Silicon Valley. We, we read they did a series about um, about uh, the kids of Silicon Valley executives like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's kids and their like how they monitor their relationship with their kids phones or the fact that their phones, um, their kids aren't allowed to have screens and how they have opened up schools um, in California where there are no screens and like what does that mean that the people who are in charge of like Facebook and Google don't want their kids uh, looking at screens at all and so we read a, a lot of articles about that we read another article about it's called um, human I think it's called human contact is a luxury good and how um, how human contact and just the human in general at this point is going to become a kind of luxury that's only there for the um, the rich and we're going to use screens to take care of our kids and old people and all kinds of things. I mean, it's really interesting once you got on the rabbit hole to sort of look at the research that's out there and um, also what the people um, who are in control are doing with their own kids. And so I think all of these things really helped my own students um, just become more conscious about uh their relationship with their phones, but also to think about what, what do they want for themselves in terms of their phones? So, cause we talked a lot, like one of the things that students said in the study a lot was, um, something to the effect of, I know I'm supposed to be a user of Facebook or I'm supposed to be a user of social media or my smartphones, but I feel used by it, or I feel used by my smartphone. And they knew that that wasn't right, but they didn't know. They also didn't know how to fix balance. And so we talked a lot about that in the class too. And I think my students became concerned also about, okay, what does it mean to be a user of these things as opposed to just feel so out of control in relation to them? Can you talk about the, the week that you spent uh, without the phones and how that affected students relationally? Because you're talking a lot about the impact that phones are having on relationships. So I'm, I'm just curious during that week, how relationships might've changed. I'm also curious if there were insights or, or, or things that happened that you were surprised by or the students were surprised by in that week with regards to breaking down or feeling lost. I, I, I'm just curious how that week might have been impacted by the loss of their phone. Well, I mean, I think maybe one of the biggest surprises for me and maybe even for the students was just the fact that I think by the time we got to the week of the experiment, my students were excited to do it. And I was happy to see that because I, I really wondered, you know, what was going to happen? Were all my students really going to do this? Or were they going to chicken out? Or were they going to find some sort of loophole to get out of this experiment? And nobody did. Everyone did it. Everybody showed up um, the day that we started. And they were just excited. I think they almost felt special, like, we're doing this thing no one else is doing. And, uh, you know, so, and I think they were just curious to see what it would be like to live without their smartphones. And so I think their attitudes were really positive. So even after all that trepidation and some resistance early in the semester, by the time we got there, they were really positive. And I think the other thing that was incredibly surprising was all the press that we got. 
about this experiment. And I think just like we had um, three different media outlets show up to film us. And I'll just tell you, like, I didn't know, none of us knew that that was going to happen. Um, someone had told the communications department at Adelphi that we were doing this thing. And they contacted me like a couple days before um, my class, before we were starting this experiment. And they were like, oh, would it be okay if someone interviewed you about this? And I was like, sure. And I thought they meant like someone on campus. And um, the morning before my class, they were like, oh, someone might, might be in your class to talk to you today. And I was like, okay. And then when I got there, they were like camera crews outside my class. And I was like, what? Well, oh my gosh. Like there's like, there's CBS. And so, so suddenly we had all this media there and, um, and I, you know, so that surprised us, but also I thought to myself, like, huh, isn't it interesting that a bunch of college students unplugging for a week would make national news. Like, what does that mean for our society that like TV crews would show up to film us? And um, so I think, I think the fact that they were there for better or worse, that we had all these cameras suddenly in the room and they want to interview my students. I think it also made my students realize like, oh, what we're doing is a big deal. And I think in some ways it got them more excited too, to, um, to have all these people excited about what they were doing. But I think um, maybe some of, I mean, one of the things that also surprised me as it was going on was how proud of my students, like how proud of themselves they were. So like I had students who had plans that they made plans for this week. I had a group of young women in class who decided that, you know, their project for the week was they were going to go up to people they didn't know and try to make conversation and like ask for the time and ask for directions. They wanted to, they wanted to learn how to talk to people they didn't know. I had another student who planned to redecorate her room during the week. This is one of the things she was going to do with her extra time. Um, and I think they ended up just really um, proud of themselves for learning how to, a lot of them said that um, before this week, um, they didn't actually know how to drive to school without using their phone. And by the end of the week, they, they could drive all, all to all kinds of different places without using their phones. And they were really proud of themselves. So I think um, even though it was hard for them to give up their phones, I think they discovered a lot of things about themselves. And that was really exciting to see. I love this. I love how you talk about teaching them critical thinking. You're pushing them yeah. into critical thinking. And listening to you, Donna, the way that you are processing this to listen to your critical thinking as you model this. Of course, you know, some of the fallout from this might be with all that publicity. Incoming freshman applications might be down to half of what they were before at Delphi. <laughs> you know, that's a good good possibility. That'll all be on you, right, uh, since you did this. But, I know, really, this is brilliant. I The map thing... I often say to Lisa when we're in the car, you know, remember when we had an atlas and I was in a, when I was out in Vancouver last week, I was in a restaurant that appeared to be <laughs> being frequented by older people. Okay. So, you know, and of course there I was, and I looked over and there was a couple probably in their eighties. I don't know if they were traveling somewhere, but he had a paper road atlas sitting out on the table and they were pointing and trying to figure out where they were and, where they were going and just see this is gener this is generational because i was the whole time thinking of MapQuest. <laughs> i was thinking <laughs> students would go to MapQuest and and download directions that way off their laptop so you had an atlas i had MapQuest. Yeah. now they have google maps <laughs> yeah well for me it was following crumbs well listen we need to we need to take a break here we'll come back and i want to hear a little bit more we're going to talk with don a little bit more about some of what the students learned, some of the takeaways from this. And then we're going to ask about, hey, how can we start to do this in our homes? How can we do this in our youth groups and elsewhere? We'll be right back. Tens of thousands of kids have been trained by their parents and youth workers to think Christianly about music and media with our How to Use Your Head to Guard Your Heart 3D Guide to Making Wise Media Choices. This easy-to-use teaching tool needs to be in your youth ministry toolbox if you desire to teach your students to integrate their faith into all of life. Jesus calls us to follow Him, and that includes following Him into the six to nine hours a day of screen time that shape and mold the beliefs and behaviors of our kids. To learn more about our 3D Media Evaluation Guide 
And to order a copy for every member of your youth group, go to our website at cpyu.org. Teach your kids to engage with media to the glory of God. Welcome back to Youth Culture Matters. We are having a great conversation with Dr. Donna Freitas, who is talking about the impact of losing phones or handing phones over for a week. And uh, we would love to hear some of the feedback that you got once phones were returned and then some of the behaviors that were shared in the week that was following the returning of the phones. Because you did mention earlier that there were some changes. I I would love to hear what some of those changes might have been. Well, um, I mean, I think one of the one of the things that was interesting about the experiment was just the community support at Adelphi for the students, and even just um, public safety, which is the, they were the people who took our phones, you know, and they um, they were so funny about it. Um, they actually talked about how they had never had so much fun with students because it was like they they made a big deal out of it when we went to go give our phones over when they went when we went to go get them back they had put them um this they had lined the students up and they put them in evidence bags and like named them and and um when we went back to go get the phones um bob who was like the head of public safety at adelphi he put a big sign on his door that said like out sick today because he was joking with the students about how oops i guess you don't get to have your phones back and so all the students (laughs) were were laughing and um i mean i think one of the things that happened when they got their phones back was uh he so Bob from public safety had made sure that he that they all turned off their phones before they put them in the safe because he was like I don't want to hear beeping all week you know for people's um, messages and things and and so when they turned their phones back on a bunch of their phones crashed because there were so many hundreds of notifications that their phones were like exploding. And I think there was, um, you know, their eyes were getting big as there was just like their phones were just popping up with messages. And I think one of the things that was intense for them when they got their phones back was just how overwhelming it was. Like they were just looking at how many notifications they got in a week. And even with, you know, all their friends knowing, like if they sent a message, it's not going to arrive. So like it's like these were just like regular notifications on their phone and all their emails and things. And and so I think that was sort of overwhelming. I think they were happy to have their phones back, too. But one of the things we talked about was um, were there any habits that they were going to change in a more permanent way? And a lot of the students liked not using their phone to wake up in the morning and um and that was a shift that they wanted to continue we talked a lot about maybe turning their notifications off so that they didn't interrupt them all the time we talked a lot about where you position yourself in relation to your phone um when you're having conversations with friends and things and so i think just in general students were really um, became more conscious just of what life is like without them. And I actually had one young woman who talked about how um, she babysat her nieces. She had a bunch of nieces and she would babysit them um, once a week. And they commented um, about how much more fun it was to spend the day with her when she didn't have her phone. And um, they even talked to her like sister about it and her mother. And so she came in thinking like, okay, maybe like when I spend the day with my nieces, I'm not going to bring my phone anymore. They like me better without it. And um, so I, and even just a lot of students talked about how they had um, different kinds of conversations or even just had conversations they wouldn't have had otherwise without their phones. One of the biggest things they talked about actually, which I think is so interesting was how wonderful it was to be free of constant messages from their parents. And so um, they really, a lot of them, I, I think in many ways, some of the biggest resistance that we got to this experiment was not from anyone on campus. It was um, from people's parents and um, I actually had a couple students th- who told me ahead of time, like, my parents don't want me to do this. And I was like, okay, well, you should have told them before because now, like, you, you have to do this experiment. Like, you don't have to talk to them about it. And so I had students who were, like, arranging things with their parents. Like, you can, you know, I'll check email at night. And, like, I'll check, I'll, I'll email you once a day, you know, from my laptop kind of thing. And 
Um, a lot of the students talked about how wonderful it was not to be tracked by their parents. I was actually amazed by how many college students' parents were tracking them. I thought, wow, like they're college students and their parents are tracking them. They loved the freedom of that. So that came up a lot. Um, they felt pretty gleeful about it, actually. Um, but I also thought like one of the things that was also interesting was just um, how many of their professors were shocked that they were doing this, um, you know, when they somehow it came up in the course of their classes and professors were surprised that they had given up their phones that they had been willing to, but also for such a long time, for a whole week. And I had some professor colleagues who were like, what are you crazy? Like having your students give up their phones for a week? Like, are you allowed to do that? And so I think one of the things that was so interesting was what a stir it caused everyone that we, we did this. Um, but I think one of my favorite things at the end of the semester was I had a student, the students over the course of the semester had to write a, a series of letters to themselves, to each other about like social media and smartphones and their usage. And um, the very last letter they, ha they had to write for the class, um, the final letter was to me, just about what they were taking away from the class. And so many of them said that um, <laughs> they said that they would never uh, grab their phone again without thinking of Professor Freitas. And I was like, well, good. <laughs> so, so Donna, now that it's over, you're into a new semester. Have you stayed connected with any of these students? And have they stuck with what their you know resolutions were? Have they pursued what they learned, you know, trying to flourish a little more in real life relationships? Or has there been a slide back into old habits? Oh, well, I mean, I um, haven't seen too many of them around campus, but um, I I think we, we talked a lot about that after we did the experiment, because there was still about maybe five weeks left of class after, maybe it was like four weeks after we did the experiment. And, you know, a lot of them, we, we also checked their usage again before the end of the class. And I think a lot of them backslid, which we talked about. And, um, but I, I do think that, you know, the the best the best that I could offer them is just the chance to be more conscious of their usage and just to be thinking about it. And I think that happened. You know, even if they continue to sort of go up and down with their usage and um, you know, sort of have weeks when their usage tops eight hours a day and all of that, I think there's no doubt in my mind or theirs that they are thinking about it, that, um, I mean, I think this is essentially for all of us, it's a lifelong struggle at this point. And mm. I think one of the things that we really have to think about as, as teachers, mentors, as parents, um, and just, you know, for ourselves is, you know, how, what does a healthy relationship look like with our devices and how do we achieve that? And, mm. I think we need to um, not be so afraid to ask our kids and our students um, to to actually try really hard things like giving up their phones for a day or for a week. I think really that's one of the only ways that we can change our habits and change our thinking around it. Some of it just has to do with um, seeing what it's like again to live without it for a while and who we are and like, what is it like to be truly alone and not, you know, not have our phone to turn to when we don't feel mm -hmm. like thinking. And that was actually one of the things the students talked about the most of just being alone with themselves and their thoughts as something that was a feature of their week. And I think it's important for us not to be afraid to challenge people and challenge kids to do hard things around their phones. Cause I really think that's the only way we're going to become thinkers and we're going to change our habits. Oh, that's good. I, I, I am curious if uh, you, you mentioned the, the dynamic of having a healthy relationship with our uh, devices. I, I am curious first, if there were some lists of tools that you gave to students as they both prepared and then afterwards to have a healthier relationship with their devices that you might be able to share with our audience. But then I also think about what you had mentioned about with parents and the interaction with parents and maybe even some words of advice for parents who may or may not have students in college, but even as they're preparing for that, how they might be able to have a healthier relationship, maybe not just with their own devices, but with their kids' devices. 
Well, I, I mean, it did seem like um, of anyone who resisted this project, the people who resisted the most were my students' parents. There were very few parents. There were a few, you know, who were like, oh, it's good that you're going to be doing this. Like, it's going to be good for you. And but a lot of them were just freaking out. Um, and, you know, one of the things we talked about at one point in the class was how many times their parents contact them a day. And for some of them, it was like over 20. You know, they were just getting constant messages from their parents. And there was also this issue of, um, you know, if my mother doesn't hear from me within 20 minutes, it doesn't matter if I'm in class, it doesn't matter if I'm at practice, she freaks out, you know, like I have to get back to her. My dad freaks out if I'm not, if, if the second I arrive at school, I don't text him to say I'm here. And I was actually just, I was surprised by how intensely, um, parents were, sort of watching their kids all the time. And um, I do think that a, like a, the students talked a lot about how the biggest challenge for them getting, like one of the biggest challenges of giving up their phones was going to be the fact that their parents were going to be upset all the time. And so um, I, I think, you know, I understand the concern or this wish that like, I want to know my kids okay all the time, but I think we really need to balance that out with the fact that the sheer presence of the smartphone and access to social media and the constant interruption, the you know, this breaking our attention and our focus, our ability to read or do homework or you know get anything done, is its own kind of problem and um, danger. I think uh, to us, and so I think parents really need to weigh that need to know all the time. Um, with the fact that it is really interrupting their children's ability to just be in school, to get an education, and to pursue healthy relationships and conversations and connections with people, um, even with them, you know, with their parents. And, and so I think, you know, even though it is hard to maybe like let your kid go a day, you know, without contacting them. It is also hard for all of us to um, be living with this constant addiction, essentially, of like grabbing for our phones, grabbing from our phones and not being able to get anything done in the meantime or, or have an unbroken conversation. So um, I do think it's one of the most, one of the most important things we can do for um, kids today is, is, you know, you know, help them develop the skill of attention, conversation, sustained relationship, freedom, ability to listen to their own thoughts. So and, and the, all of those things are being challenged by the presence of our devices and this constant need to be in touch. You have given us so much to think about here. And I'm just going to say when you talked about, you know, someone getting contacted 20 times a day. I, I, the, you can't see us, but Jason had his head buried in his hands. Chris was leaning back in disbelief, you know, with the laughter. And I was thinking, I must be an oddball. Well, I am, but I must be an oddball because when I went off to college, my parents dropped me off. I didn't talk to them for eight weeks. There was a, <laughs> yeah, there was a phone, I, a payphone conversation after eight weeks. And even then I'm thinking, you know, I could go longer and I'm sure they could have as well. And, they, and these were people who loved me, and I loved them. So, yeah, I, it's just great. And, and I also thought, you know, we need to get people to listen to that last podcast we released on the collapse of parenting by, you know, with Leonard Sachs, the, uh, the conversation we had with him. So this is so helpful. You know, one takeaway that uh, I'll mention right now is for the youth workers who are listening. I mean, Donna spoke clearly to parents, and I'm thinking here about youth workers as well. She, she spoke a lot of truth to you folks as well, but... What, why not a retreat where you get people to ex, kids to experience the flourishing, the relational flourishing, the depth of relationships, the solitude that they were created for by just taking them away and letting know letting them know ahead of time phones don't go. I mean, it just it, it's kids will love that. I am convinced of that. And we hear that all the time as as youth workers are doing that. So, Donna, this is great. Uh, I know we need to let you go. You have a class to teach. Any last parting words, anything you direct us to? And I want to know, are you going to write on this? Is there going to be a book that comes out of this? 
Oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I've thought about writing about it since it was such an intense experiment. Um, I would say just for um, for people who are working with youth groups uh, and who are doing retreats, like when I one of the things that's very common at um, Catholic college campuses um, is for who, that do a lot of retreats. Um, they often uh, make their students leave their devices home or say this is a device free retreat. And I hear all the time from students how much they like that. And I think, um, often people are looking for permission to unplug. And, you know, I also think, you know, I've talked to a lot of, I've talked to a lot of youth ministers before, um, both old and younger. And I think there's such a frenzy to try to reach out to kids on Twitter and to be with them on Facebook and all of that. And I think if there's anything that I learned from the research that I did, and just even from working with a lot of my students is they don't necessarily want us to meet them where they are. They want them to meet us where they're not. Like they're looking for us to help them um, be in a place where they're not normally. And um, and one of those places right now is, um, you know, they're looking to not be on their phones, I think, and for us to help them get there because they're having such a hard time doing it on their own. And so I would say just don't be afraid to um, to challenge them in that way because I think they want to be challenged. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we're going to remind everybody that, yeah, again, go to the podcast page the, the, for this particular episode. Scroll down. We will include links to everything that's been uh, Donna has mentioned, all the things Donna has mentioned, and uh, additional links as well to, to helpful things that will help you navigate this. And uh, subscribe to the podcast. Leave a good good comment. That will help us. And you, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. So, Donna, thank you. We'll let you get to class. Jason. Thank you, Donna. Yeah. Jason. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Today. It's always fun to have you on here. And let us know next time you do something crazy, and we'll let you come on here and talk to us about it. We <laughs> love right. that. I mean, it's so good. Jason, thank you. Chris, thank you. And for everyone who's listening, come back and join us next time on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.